Hello, my name is Katherine Hicks. I'm a first year student here at CBS, and I'd like to welcome you to Please Unmute Yourself, one of Columbia Business School's student-run podcasts. We are currently approaching the end of the 2022-2023 fall semester. Oh, how time flies. And today, we are speaking with my friend, Julian Souffrant. This is a particularly exciting episode, not only because Julian is the ideal conversation partner, but also because it marks the first time we've had a first-year guest on the show. So with that, welcome, Julian. Please unmute yourself. Am I unmuted? You're unmuted. Wow, what an intro. (laughs) What an intro. Thank you so much. And the inaugural first year, Mm -hmm. I'll take it. I'll take it. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, You are currently wearing a suit and tie. Uh, You're in the middle of the recruiting process, I imagine. Indeed. Uh, How are you you feeling? Uh, We're getting there. I'm really happy. I don't know if this is going to come out before or after Thanksgiving, but right now it's before. Very excited for Thanksgiving, going home, getting some mac and cheese, dairy-free, some apple pie, sweet potato pie, turkey. Yeah. So recruiting's been long, but but we're we're inching to Thanksgiving. So I'm I'm excited. Amazing. Okay, so Julian, tell us about yourself. Where'd you grow up? Grew up, so I was, I'll give you the slightly longer version. Please do. Um, I was born in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. lived there for four or five years, moved to D.C. for like a year or so from when I was like six to seven, and then grew up in North Carolina. Okay. So I would say I'm a Carolina boy, um, and then from Carolina, moved to Vermont where I did my undergrad, Middlebury mm-hmm. College. Middle of nowhere, Vermont. Um, but yeah, loved New England and then moved out to, to Seattle. How did you like that remote campus experience? My undergrad was similar. I went to a tiny town in, uh, called St. Andrews in Scotland and oh, yeah. I, I loved the being remote. Yeah, it kind of felt Andrews. like the town was your playground. Is that what Middlebury was like? I loved it. It felt like a winter wonderland summer camp mm-hmm. for like rich kids. <laughs> um, I'm not rich, but, but that's kind of what it felt like, especially because of the resources. Like. Yeah. I think it, I mean, the town and gown dynamics were real. And so the community felt very different than the campus. Mm -hmm. Middlebury campus felt like this pristine bubble. Mm -hmm. But I remember, funny story of me getting to Middlebury. I uh, was actually in Vermont. I'd never been to Vermont before. Mm -hmm. But some other school, we'll leave it unnamed. But another school I was looking at, they sort of offered me this crazy scholarship and kind of flew me up there to go do a day on campus and, like, meet new people. And I was like, this school's pretty cool. Also, Middlebury seems kind of cool. I'm not going to be in Vermont again. I might as well, like, dip out and try to sneak on campus. And so I, during my time at the other school, I kind of found a way to dip away with my parents, and we Mm -hmm. did the drive up to Middlebury. And the second I stepped on that campus, I was like, oh, my God, I'm in love. Like, it was a disgusting day, honestly. They call it mud season. It was in April. So it was still snow on the ground, but it kind of like like had uh, melted a little bit. So it was super muddy, and it was gray, and no one was on campus because it was spring break. And it started to snow a little bit. My mom hated it, but I was like in my glee. And the buildings were like a nice gray. I went we did like a almost an impromptu tour mm-hmm. and I just kept looking inside the buildings and I was like, Oh, I could take a nap here. I could take a nap here. <laughs> the priorities. It literally that's what I was, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, Oh, this library would be amazing for, for naps. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I really just fell in love with the smallness of it, but it was still like a very expansive and spread out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it did feel like a huge playground. To yeah. Your point. 
That's so funny. I, I was listening and smiling because it's sounding like you were describing my exact experience. I remember visiting St. Andrews for the first time with my mom and it was uh, winter break, but it was snow on the ground. Students were in the middle of exams, the ones who were still there. And it was like the most dismal mm-hmm. um, uh, set of circumstances possible. And I was just in love. I was like, this is my place. How was your mom like it? Oh, she hated it. Yeah. But I, instead of the naps, I was like, all right, that looks like my pub. That could be a fun pub over there. Uh, this might be the spot for me. <laughs> yeah, see, for, for me, there's like two bars. So I was like, well, <laughs> these are my options anyways. <laughs> so That's funny. Okay, so Middlebury. Uh, you it was So it's a classic liberal arts education, mm-hmm. right? How yeah. did that prepare you for CBS? Yeah, I think so. Uh, a little bit of context. My dad is a uh, professor. And so very early on... My brother went to NC State. Okay. Um, he's much smarter than, than I am, so he had, like, a full ride. He was actually getting paid to go to school there, pretty much. Um, I was not that smart, so I did not get a full <laughs> ride. But because of that, I also had more, like, more options, right. right? There was no obvious choice for me. And when I was thinking about schools, my dad kept saying, you know, you should really think about liberal arts. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really important to learn how to learn. Um, a was, quick interruption. Was he a liberal arts professor? What was his No, his so topic? he teaches at UNC Charlotte. Okay. Um, he is teaches philosophy. Okay. Specifically, like, Caribbean and racial ethics. Okay. Um, and so for him, for, so it doesn't necessarily, not really liberal arts, but there is sort of a thing around, he was very, like, you have to know how to read. Mm-hmm. You have to, like, know how to listen and think of questions and, and question things. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And so it was kind of a, a, a beautiful match of, okay, this gives me a lot of options. I don't have to really major in anything serious. I don't mm-hmm. have to decide what I want to major in coming in. Mm-hmm. I don't have to pick a certain, like, oh, the journalism school or, like, the nursing school. Right. And also I just thought that kind of opened up more optionality for me. Um, so your question of how did it prepare me for CBS, I think that – it prepared me a little bit for CBS in the way of actually – well, there's two things. I came to CBS because I was like I need probably a more focused mm-hmm. expertise. Didn't know anything about finance. Did Never took a finance course really. And so that was important to me in getting more kind of honed in. Mm-hmm. But I think from like a macro version, the way that you think about issues, the way that you tie in different dimensions or different ideas from different sectors mm-hmm. um, is really important. At CBS. Mm-hmm. And in the core, it's a little bit less evident. But even in conversations with other people, I think it, it does kind of play an important role. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that little arts was important, I think, just for my own growth, more importantly, mm-hmm. into like who I became. It was a major factor into the job I decided to do after um, Middlebury. And then also, I think, has helped me just be a more well-rounded, holistic thinker mm-hmm. at CBS. And you, so you focused on impact investing and social enterprise while you were there, right? Or at least you did a certificate within it at Middlebury. Um, Those seem to be like the two most important topics that the business school itself is facing. So in a way, it's almost as if years in advance, you kind of uh, saw through the looking glass and knew exactly what to focus on. (laughs) Very forward thinking of you. Um, So after college, you then went to Seattle Mm -hmm. and you started working at Camber Collective. Tell us about that. Camber Collective is a uh, beautiful company near and dear to my heart. Um, they're a social impact strategy consulting firm. 
they really focus on sort of typical strategy consulting, strategic advisory, and then do some behavioral insights work as well. Offices in Seattle, San Francisco, um, newly DC, mm-hmm. and also Paris. Okay. And so, and then work in a couple of different sectors: um, global health, domestic health, um, democracy and governance, shared prosperity, which is like economic mobility, and mm-hmm. then climate and the environment. And so, the way I found them was like very, very sort of serendipitous, almost. I would say. I had just actually declined an offer from to work as like I think a credit analysis mm-hmm. analyst at a uh, credit analyst at a bank. I was like, uh, first off, the job function seemed interesting, but not crazily interesting to mm-hmm. me. I wasn't really sure what kind of impact I was going to have outside, and that was really important to me. Still, is really important to me. It's also in Buffalo, which sounds way cooler now than it did. Five years ago. Does it? <laughs> yeah, because the football no team. on Buffalo. Football team. Because you go to Buffalo now mm-hmm. and it's like, oh my God, I get to go watch the Bills. That would have been a big one for me. But okay. I was like, it's just Buffalo. I don't. And I was there. It was kind of cool, but not cool enough, I guess. And so I declined the offer for various reasons, but then was kind of put in that panic mode where it's like, all right, we're January. <laughs> I just said no to this job offer. Mm-hmm. I'd also said no to uh, graduate school. <laughs> so <laughs> my parents were like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and I was like, all right, I got to get on my horse. And so I talked to like my counselor, and she was like, well, have you thought about consulting? And I was like, I don't want to help, you know, for example, at the time I was like, I don't want to help oil and gas companies mm-hmm. um, make more money, which will be funny. I'm sure we'll go full circle here, but that's sort of ironic. But that was what I was thinking. Um, I don't really want to advise them either. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I thought, well, maybe there's like a – I never, I didn't know it was possible, but I was like, maybe there's like a social impact thing to consulting. Maybe that's – maybe I can like find a niche within a consulting mm-hmm. firm that does social impact. And so I like literally went on – it's called Handshake. I don't know. We don't really have it, but it's almost like our coin, like mm-hmm. our, our career portal. I just put – click the social impact box, click the consulting box, click the search, and Canberra Collective came up. Mm. I looked at their website. I thought the words on the website were really cool. I thought what they were saying was really interesting. I loved like the actual website design, which is shallow. You but makes the book a difference. Cover. I definitely <laughs> did. I definitely did. I was like, this website looks amazing, their logo looks cool, and the work they do seems really interesting. So I kind of just on a whim submitted my application. Um, and it got back to me. The more I learned about it, the more I the more I, I thought was really interested in it. Um had a dream that I got the offer the day before I did, Ooh. which was crazy. Yeah. Meant to be. I know. Yeah. And the work I did were, there was really fulfilling. Um, I think consulting in general is like the liberal arts of the mm-hmm. workforce. So it was very fitting because I yeah. didn't know what I wanted to do really. But it allowed me to work in a bunch of different job functions and a bunch of different industries while having impact and really get some of those like foundational skill sets, mm-hmm. I think, of of working and being in the workforce. Yeah, I, I agree. I worked – so I wasn't in uh, management consulting. I was in like communications consulting mm-hmm. before this, which doesn't have that many you know actual like tactical skills that you carry over. But similar to I think the management consulting process, it feels like I could go you know an inch deep and a mile wide on every sort of issue that is out there yeah. and every sort of industry, and it's a good – you know, beginning a uh, glimpse into what exists because mm-hmm. I feel often the hardest part of being young and choosing your career is you don't know what you don't know. So yeah. you know, it's like, I'll be a doctor or a lawyer. Then a couple years later, you learn a bit more. And it's like, okay, these little niches exist. And I don't know, I think consulting is helpful from that perspective. Um, but then onwards and upwards, and it's good to specialize and 
get out and move on from yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. I know this is your podcast. I want to ask what made you yeah. go to business school, but we can talk about that. We'll get to me. Too. Well, I can yeah. ask you that question, yeah. and then you can kick it back to me. But quickly, just closing it out on your time at Camber, um, mm-hmm. in the rearview mirror looking at it, is there a standout project that um, is either for good or bad reasons, hopefully good, uh, yeah. one that you remember? There are a lot. Um, I know that's kind of a cop-out answer, but I can give you maybe like the – my Mount Rushmore, if I made it three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll make it. I'll try to make it three. I'll be succinct. You are the fourth. Yeah, yeah right. Um, let's see. I really enjoyed uh, a project I did with the Gates Foundation. It was the first project I did with the Gates Foundation. Wait, that was my favorite project at my firm. Really? Yeah, it was Gates-related. Okay, yeah. I'll, you, you tell me yours and I'll tell you mine. It was, yeah, so it was um, called Jesse. Okay. Stands for the Gender Equality Special Initiative. Mm-hmm. I probably shouldn't even call it Jesse because I don't like that name. <laughs> Supposedly Melinda doesn't like the name, but um, essentially, Melinda Melinda Gates was um, looking to give like a large sum of money to sort of like propel gender equality, mm-hmm. and kind of hired Camber to um, think through kind of what within the broad range of gender equality, like what are some specialized things that the Gates Foundation could focus on. Um, then also think through even like the project management of like getting from step A to step B. So there was one pillar of getting step A to step B, the second pillar of like scoping out the work, mm-hmm. understanding like what is in the area, where are places that the Gates Foundation could play to like propel uh, gender equality. Mm-hmm. And then the third was sort of like setting up this big conference, which I think happened in, in Paris to yeah. like give the big, hey, I'm giving this much money. I think it ended up being like 250 or $300 million, something mm-hmm. like that. It was the a real big intro into consulting in a really interesting way, a topic I did not know much about. Um, well, I kind of knew gender equality from, like, I care about this sort of mm-hmm. thing, but not from a, like, what what do the barriers actually look like mm-hmm. for, for women? Like, what does, for example, like, adolescent and young girls, uh, like, violence, mm-hmm. lo- like, domestic violence look like in different regions, too, not just in the U.S., but also, like, in sub-Saharan Africa or, like, mm-hmm. maybe in Nepal. What does, like, wh- what is the importance of sanitary and uh, sanitary hygiene? And, mm-hmm. like, the acronym is WASH. But, you know, what is the importance of getting young girls, mm-hmm. you know, sanitary, like, equipment um, and making sure that they're able to actually go to school when they're on, like, when they're menstruating. Yeah. And so that was really important. Um, I think an important learning lesson for me. And I loved the work I did. It was fast paced. It felt important. There was like the big setting up meetings. Cause someone's meeting with like Bill Gates or Melinda Gates. Mm-hmm. Like our, our clients did one-on-ones with them all the time. Yeah. So it was like pretty cool. Um, and what, what did it actually look like in terms of the function? Like, were you to find out that information? Was it, you know, getting into the field and like surveys or was it, you know, crunching data you already had or what, yeah. working with partners what 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 did that look like for you so this one was interesting because usually what we do is like we'll go off by ourself mm-hmm. and me as the analyst i'll do like a ton of like literature reviews bring back like a lot of information try to synthesize it and then bring it to like a manager and then we'll bring it to the client since this is such a big deal for the gates foundation they hired their own like subject matter experts mm-hmm. like leaders in the field and essentially, they just, like, plopped me with them. So I just became their, like, research analyst pretty yeah. much. And it was helpful because I was like, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I don't know where I'm going with this. I don't even know where to look. Mm-hmm. But I ended up being, like, an interview. Like, they would essentially call their friends and interview them. 
Um, so I ended up being in those interviews, like taking notes, usually not asking questions, but like taking notes <laughs> and like posing questions with them. I had like one-on-ones with, with these experts and was mm-hmm. like, yeah, essentially they're their own little researcher that yeah. they had on retainer. And what so, an incredible way to learn. I know, right? I was like, wow, this is No, it really was. It was I think it was it was definitely special. Um and it was one of the, I think that was the second project I did. So I worked for the Gates Foundation under Melinda specifically, my my old firm. Um they had they had a Gates Foundation team and also Melinda's team, and we. Her, so my direct client was her firm, Pivotal Ventures, which is her. We've worked with them too. Yeah, there and there. I'm sure we know the do. same people. I'm That's sure crazy. We do. Yeah. Offline, we can chat. Yeah, about. but um, so yeah, her, you know, as you know very well, but for our listeners who don't, she has this uh, private venture firm that basically the entire remit is to advance social progress across the U.S. And so, being in a communications function, we would do all of the media surrounding big announcements. So she did like her big $1 billion commitment to advance gender equality. Then within that various uh, other announcements, which the Paris one would be one of them. Um, So we helped do, you know, the press rollout for that. We did uh, the press rollout for her book tour. So um, it was an incredible uh, exposure to, I don't know, I I had never really worked in the social impact space before. So it was nice to kind of get that insight and realize how much I enjoyed it. And it actually was a big part of why I went to business school. You know, uh, I working at my previous company, I advised everyone from, you know, the New York Fed to giant pharmaceutical companies to this Pivotal Ventures company to, you know, anything in between. And I felt like I was getting, you know, an inch wide and a mile deep on all of those. And I had been there long enough to where I started to realize the areas that were interesting to me and the ones that weren't and wanting to get more specialized in the ones that were interesting to me beyond a communications function where I could have more impact, where I could actually drive the strategy behind decision making rather than the strategy behind how it's going to look to certain stakeholders. So that was kind of why I I, I love the the skills behind communications. I love to write. That's my skill set. But in terms of an actual impact perspective, business school felt like a good choice to kind of get that expertise and that credibility to be in yeah. the room making those decisions. So yeah. that's kind of my journey. But back to you. So <laughs> you were there for three years. Yes. And then you decided on business school. Yep. Was CBS um, the standout choice in the beginning or did you kind of shop around? Funny. Um, I definitely shopped around. CBS kind of waffled for me. My family's from New York originally. Mm-hmm. So there's always a bit of a pull. Um, I think they were kind of agnostic on whether I ended up in New York. They just kind of wanted me back on the East Coast. I was looking at a few schools on the West Coast, but I knew that East Coast was more likely. Um, specifically, like my grandma's. I mean, a lot of my family's in New York. My grandma's here in Long Island. She just turned 90 in October. Happy and birthday, so, Grandma. Yes, I know. Grammy, I love you. Um, but I was really hoping to sort of spend more time with her around family, I think that I didn't realize that, you know, you're just so far away when you're on the West coast. I knew that you were far away. I was like, you're just a plane ride away, but it's tough to get kind of back home for a Mm -hmm. lot of things. And it's tough to be there quickly. Um, and so I kind of wanted that in the next short chapter, um, of my life, the CBS website coming back to websites is not that great (laughs) when I was first looking at it. Um, and I heard really terrible things about Uris hall. Mm hmm. But then they made the new campus, and as I sort of began to get interviews and speak to more people, the people I spoke with at Columbia were really interesting, really helpful, and I really liked what the dean, Costas McGlarus, was talking about in regards to, like, climate change. Mm -hmm. I kind of decided that climate change was 
I wanted that to be my next focus, renewable energy, clean energy, climate change, and thought that just the idea or course is like hypothesis that climate change is something that needs to be almost like an umbrella topic. There doesn't need to be one class, but every single class needs to be focused on sustainability and climate mm-hmm. change because that's going to be the future. That's what if you're trying to build leaders and you're not teaching them how to think about or how their industries are going to be affected by mm-hmm. climate change, then you're kind of doing them a disservice. And I felt I heard Costis um, articulate that multiple times. And then I begin to see more professors speaking about that. Um, and even students talk about that weren't even interested in sustainability or climate change and be like, oh, yeah, Bruce Usher's climate finance class is amazing. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that that was on the minds of a lot of people kind of made me think, okay, maybe this is a school for me. It was definitely a hard decision, but I think that on top of you know family being in New York really ended up being the kind of final de- decider mm-hmm. for me for, for Columbia. Now that you're here, do you find that they've actually followed through on the talk with action in the school? Course-wise, mm-hmm. less so. Mm-hmm. I think that um, in the core, it's maybe a little bit harder, or the core is probably more solidified mm-hmm. than other courses. And so the core curriculum, it's harder to really embed, or it probably takes a longer time to embed climate change mm-hmm. in it because all the slides are the same for every professor, for every section, and not every professor really wants to talk about climate change. Yeah. I think that within clubs and groups, um, it definitely, that idea, that passion has definitely like proliferated. So, I mean, even just talking to second years now, the Green Business Club is way bigger than it was last year or, or the year before. Mm-hmm. The idea of like climate tech VC is way bigger and there are more companies that are um, coming to speak to to CBS or at CBS or even on the radar of CBS students Mm -hmm. than there was, you know, two or three years ago. Even looking at startups, like I think Block Power was a startup that was uh, by Donald Baird created by who was a CBS alum that has like a renewable energy, clean energy focus. Um, I think it's worldwide becoming more of a thing i think cbs is kind of diving in at least outside of the classroom mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see uh as we get to electives whether it's inside the classroom mm-hmm. well perhaps in the future they'll have a climate related core class because it is you know, i'm yeah. hoping i'm hoping yeah okay, uh, if i have anything to say about it administration, <laughs> please listen to this podcast and make changes accordingly um, so have you been doing any, you mentioned the clubs and all of, you know, the green business organizations mm-hmm. and stuff. Have you been doing any extracurriculars while you've been here or have you been mainly focused on recruiting and that'll come, you know, come spring? Both. Been mainly focused on recruiting. I am AVP of external affairs in the green business club. Congratulations. Um, I haven't done much with that club yet cause we're mm-hmm. kind of just starting up. We've had a couple talks around the things that we want to do with other schools mm-hmm. and, and events that we want to put on. Um, but yeah, and I've done a couple things with the, um, venture capital club mm-hmm. for the most part though, I've been running around rat racing, recruiting. Yeah. So hopefully that'll end by January and then I'll be fully kind of embedded in, in the extracurriculars. Mm-hmm. So tell us more about your recruiting. What are you recruiting for? Uh, yep. how's it going? Tell us everything. I'm going to have to give you the spiel. Okay. Because Lay it on sound... us. Give us your elevator pitch. Yeah. Cause I've been coming off as a social impact guy and I've, I'm very passionate about sustainability and social impact. But I am recruiting for investment banking. So let me give you the spiel. For me, when I was working um, as a social impact strategy consultant, I really loved the work. I got energized by the energy transition, I could say. Mm -hmm. And I realized that looking at the project and working in business development, 
um, in that area, I was sort of missing, if I wanted to make an actual impact, right? I wanted to be closer to, to the impact. Mm-hmm. And I thought in order to do so, I was kind of missing two key skill sets. One was just a more honed kind of financial toolkit, understanding of finance and mm-hmm. the way it can be levered. And then two, I was also missing just a more nuanced understanding of the industry. Mm-hmm. When I talked to people and I did my own research, time and time again, people said, um, you know, I worked in investment banking. I hated it. Or they said I loved it. But either way, they said the financial skill set understanding that I have now is unquestionable. Mm-hmm. And it's largely thanks to the work I did at my investment bank. And then two, whether they worked in energy, whether they worked in consumer and retail tech, it said my understanding of the industry is also unquestionable, mm-hmm. you know, second to none. Um, and so for, for me, I thought those are two key things I think I can get from this job. I was still sort of off it for a little bit. I was still very apprehensive to go and do this thing, which I had definitely ridden off before until I saw that more and more banks are beginning to really focus on clean energy. Some banks even have specific groups for sustainable impact. Mm-hmm. Um, ESG-focused umbrellas, um, firms that are focused or, or groups that are focused on um, – groups that are focused on – smaller companies, um, more startups or, or larger private companies, even groups that are focused on clean energy mm-hmm. um, and renewable energy. I thought that that was really interesting. Long term, my goal is to be able to push capital towards underrepresented groups and communities um, and help them think through or help them promote their companies and ideas focused on climate adaptation. Right, helping communities that are most negatively affected by climate change adapt to it and be resilient against it. Mm-hmm. Right, I think in order to do that, I need to really understand the finances of a certain company right. and how it operates. And I also think I really need to know the space. Right, I can't really fake it. And so, for me, I kind of had two options. I could go kind of straight into a startup or venture capital and figure out as I kind of go along. I think a lot of times I've I've done that. Consulting is very much an exercise in that, mm-hmm. getting into a project where you don't really know the space and figuring out as you go along. And in doing consulting, I realized, well, I really want to feel confident in my knowledge. I really want to feel like I can add value the second I come in. Mm-hmm. And so this in-between phase of doing investment banking almost feels like stepping out of that liberal arts yeah. mindset and getting like a, a specialized honed toolkit to then be able to, to, to bring back to my community and other communities that are suffering the most from from climate change. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And I think that absolutely makes sense, you know, tackling it from the financial perspective. Specifically, one of my clients when I was at my most recent company was um, the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures. So Mike Bloomberg's TCFD basically like trying to create um, climate risk being, you know, part of the annual reporting that all financial firms or all organizations have to do. Um, and his whole argument is, you know, we, we should care about this just from a moral perspective, but the way we're actually going to create change is to make the markets care about it as well. So kind of tackling climate from, you know, this this financial reporting mechanism, um, he thought at least seemed to be the most effective way of doing it. So if Mike Bloomberg thinks so, then Julian Souffrant should think so too. Maybe I'm on the <laughs> right path. Yeah, no, but and, – and also I think that, like, at least right now, the most important thing is moving capital towards – this and creating a business case for it. Right. And I think that 
looking at our government now and even looking at working with foundations, I mean, I'm at least of the belief that currently um, private companies or private as in private capital, Mm -hmm. banks is what I'm really saying, have some of the biggest potential to help move that capital Mm -hmm. or help companies move that capital towards um, climate change Mm -hmm. or or even renewable energy and and renewable solutions. Mm -hmm. But how do you square that focus with how banks, you know, and large financial institutions also advise, you know, the big oil gas, to your point earlier, or, you know, like the 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 industries that, you know, just on the surface mm-hmm. seem counter to those goals? Sometimes it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a, still a very big sore spot. Like mm-hmm. it is a uh, – it is a, like, market example of – Yes, we still live in a capitalist society. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes you just have to accept that. And the second part is, all right, do you want to be involved in that? Do you want to contribute to that? Um, and I think that the way that I've thought about it now, and I might just be drinking my own Kool-Aid here, but there is an opportunity or at least completely ignoring oil and gas companies mm-hmm. and saying, all right, Shell – you guys have nothing to do with this. We're not going to talk to you at all. Mm-hmm. We're not going to interact with any ExxonMobil or any BP. I think that that evades a really large opportunity. Mm-hmm. I think the business case for renewable energy is steadily growing and only going to become stronger and stronger. And at some point, the rubber is going to hit the road. And these large companies are going to need to transition to renewable energy. Mm-hmm. Right? Um I think they already they already are. You see them adding investments towards green hydrogen, buying companies for with for biofuel, mm-hmm. right, as opposed to oil and gas. Um, and I think that if you're in a position to help those companies do that more quickly and more efficiently, mm-hmm. that is better than not being involved with them at all. Maybe not better, but it's it's an opportunity. Absolutely. And so, for me, that's how I sort of thought about it. If you are helping them get to a better space because mm-hmm. they're always going to be players in the field. And they also have massive amounts of capital. Right. So if you get them to a place where they're actually caring about renewable energy, mm-hmm. whether it's because they actually care about the environment or whether it's because it's making them more money, at some point we're at a space where we can't really care about their intentions. We just have to care about more more about the actions. Right. Right. If right. we can get the actions to a good place, I think that's a net good. I think that I completely agree. And I think, you know, ignoring the problem doesn't make it go away. So it's best to, you know, thoughtfully engage in the how and the why don't really matter as long as you get to the same space in the end. Arguably. Especially with climate change. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. we don't have all, you know, it'd be great if we could get everyone to believe fundamentally, you know, that you should be well intentioned, that this is the good thing that society needs. This. And I, I believe all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we just need action mm-hmm. quickly. So. Well, with that, I think I already know the answer to this next question I'm going to ask you, but I'm going to ask anyway. Um, business school so often has so much to do with ambition, uh, mm-hmm. stepping outside of you know the cultural construct of financial success being the driver of ambition. What are you ambitious about? Other than climate change, you're saying? No, well, I, I, think, I, I think that <laughs> climate change might be your answer, but uh, asking I, anyway. I could say, uh, well, I think, yeah, climate change is one. Broadly, more broadly, I'd just say social impact, okay. having an impact on on society. 
this might be a bit of a long tangent. I feel like I've told you this story mm-hmm. before, but there's so my last name is Souffrant. Mm-hmm. Um, in French, it means like to be in a state of suffering, and uh, for a long time, I kind of struggled with that that definition in my head. I couldn't really place it. I was like, that's a horrible <laughs> last name to have. <laughs> Just to be used to be suffering kind of eternally. I don't... Uh, and then my dad told me this story. I was really into Greek mythology mm-hmm. at the time. And he told me, he's like, oh, you know that our last name is sort of represented by the god Atlas. And I was like, I, I don't get it, Dad. Explain. And he told me that... He kind of reminded me of the story of Atlas. For those who don't know, Atlas was a titan. He fought against... Um, the gods on Olympus, the Titans lost, the gods won, Zeus became the god of gods, essentially. And as a punishment for fighting against him, he punished Atlas to chain him to the skies and force him to hold up the world. Sort of the, the spin on that is that he didn't actually force Atlas to hold the world. He just gave the world to Atlas to hold. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, Atlas always had a choice. He could either suffer eternally for the betterment of others, or he could let go and his suffering at the demise of everyone else. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that we're still here. So Atlas eternally holds the skies and holds the world for us. And so when we bring that back to the name to suffer eternally, it's not just you suffer eternally, but it's more so like what are you sacrificing for? Mm-hmm. And for us and my family, I think we've all decided that we're willing to sacrifice and suffer for the betterment of others for social impact. So mm-hmm. my mom's a psychotherapist, my dad's a professor, my brother's a doctor. I'm going into business, but hopefully it's for the end goal to, to kind of maximize that social impact. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I think is very fundamental to me, I'm sure, as you know as well. And you can probably tell family is is one of my primary motivators. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I'm very intrinsically motivated by the idea of being able to give back to my family for all the sacrifices they made mm-hmm. um, for me to get to where I am. I wouldn't be here if, if it weren't for, for them, my brother, my mom, my dad, the whole family. It took a village, really. And so for me, that's a big motivator. And on top of that, being able to make um, a greater impact on my direct community and then society around me is sort of what, what I'd love to Whenever I do leave this earth, I'd love to leave it with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember you telling me that uh, during our first lead week, uh, first week of classes, I was sitting next to you in one of the the first orientation days, yeah. and I remember, you know, just scratching my head, thinking that's such a beautiful story, and it kind of puts to shame the only etymology I have of my last name Hicks, which is being from Texas, that I'm just the redneck from Texas. With redneck being a hick. To synonym, each their own, so. though. <laughs> <laughs> to each their own. You can thank my dad for it. <laughs> it's a beautiful story. Um, all right. I think we are going to wrap up by playing our favorite game on this show, which is called Unmute Now. I love it. This is a recurring segment that we play where we ask our guests to set a binary this or that questions, and you have to answer immediately. Okay. So am I giving you this I, or that? You're giving me this or that? I'm giving you this or that, and you tell me which one you prefer. No explanation, just rapid fire or yeah, explanation? Rapid fire. Okay. If you have an explanation, by all means, give okay. it to us. But okay, ready? GMAT or GRE? GRE. Salty or sweet? Salty. Microeconomics or macroeconomics? Before college or after college? In grad school. Grad school macroeconomics. Okay. Beach or mountain? Mm. Who am I with, mom or dad? You're with yourself in a good book. Beach. Okay. Calculator? Oh, lake. Oh. We'll go lake. A lake on a mountain? 
or near a beach. Okay. I'll take it. <laughs> On a mountain, actually. <laughs> um, calculator or Excel? Excel. Uh, dogs or vacuum cleaners? Oh, dogs. <laughs> okay. But I love a good vacuum cleaner. I put clean. that one in to throw you to see what you would answer, and I expected a pause, a confused pause, and you had an immediate answer. So no, but I love on. vacuum cleaners. Dogs that don't shed, if a dog sheds oh, or it's small, then vacuum cleaner. Well, I suppose the two go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I and actually was vacuum cleaning it. the other day, and I remember thinking, this is my favorite part of cleaning. I don't like really cleaning much. Like, dishes are okay. Making the bed is my cleaning my room is not my favorite, but I love a good vacuum clean. It's deeply satisfying. Do you have a brand of choice or is it just any vacuum cleaner? When I make it big one day, yeah. I'm really excited to get a Dyson. <laughs> the yeah. Dyson King. That That is the answer to ambition, the ambition question from earlier. It's all to get a Dyson. Dyson. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. Well, Julian, thank you so much for coming onto the show. And thank you all again for listening to Please Unmute Yourself, where we dive into the very center of our program to get to know the individuals that make up this amazing community. Are you interested in being a part of the podcast? Reach out to the podcast team on Instagram at Please Unmute Yourself or at Please Unmute Yourself at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone. Have a beautiful day. Bye.